0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: People that are ministers are real people. Now, I know you kind of get thrown off when people wear collars backwards and they look like the clergy. And you kinda go, ooh, clergy. I was at ground zero. And uh, at first I, I couldn't get in, cause I, I, y'all know me, I had on my ball cap, my jeans, my t-shirt, and I walked down there and there police all over the place and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm clergy. And they're going, yeah, and I'm like, Michael Jackson. And because I didn't look like clergy, they didn't think I was. And so I had a struggle getting in. But finally did. You know, you get the idea that pastors and ministers, you know, are some special people. They're not. It's a calling that God places on their lives. But in reality, if you're called to ministry, you should be ministering to people. Your job, your function is to minister to people, not for people to minister to you. Jesus came to serve people. And if you want to be like Jesus, you must serve people. If you're in ministry, you serve people. It is my job to get low so I can lift you up to Jesus. That's biblical clergyism. Is that a word? (laughs) You get the point. Clergy people should serve people. You know, oftentimes people refer to me as Reverend Rodney. Why are you laughing? (laughs) People refer to me as Reverend Rodney, and I I personally don't like that title. I would prefer to be called the Right Reverend Rodney. (laughs) But I really just appreciate people calling me a brother because pastors go through the same stuff that other people go through. We're brothers and sisters and companions in tribulation. And John is writing this letter as a pastor who cares about his people. And he's writing this letter from the island of Patmos. That's what he said in verse 9. Now, during the reign of Domitian, if you were here last week, we dealt with this quite in depth. But during the reign of Domitian, he had John sent to the island of Patmos, as I said. And Patmos was like an Alcatraz island in the Roman Empire. It was a prison without walls. It was a volcanic Island 50 miles from Ephesus, 10 miles long, five miles wide, little food, little vegetation, rocky, barren, seemingly God-forsaken island where men were sent to do hard labor and work in the mines and to die. And so it was on this island that John received the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I am sure, I am pretty confident, stay with me here, I am confident that Satan and the demons of hell were congratulating themselves and having a party for succeeding to get rid of John and having him put away. I'm sure they were like, "Woo! finally got rid of him. And I'm sure they were patting themselves on their evil little backs and just, you know, really partying it up because John's out the way. But I think you know the end of the story. His plan backfired. Boomeranged. It turned around on him. Instead of getting an obituary notice announcing John's death, what happened? The churches of Asia received messages of Christ's future victory. Interesting. And get this, and get this. God allowed John from that island, that rocky, barren, out-of-the-way, Alcatraz-type island, God allowed John to see further into the future than Domitian was able to see from his Roman palace. Hmm. Interesting. So in reality now, if you're taking notes, Satan helped the plan of God. He really did. Because if Domitian had not sent John to the island, John wouldn't have been in the place to receive this prophecy. And if John wasn't in the place to receive this prophecy, we wouldn't have this awesome book revealing Christ and the end times. So in many respects, John's Patmos experience was a blessing to us and a bombshell to the devil. Now, that is important for us to understand. The Bible says what Satan means for evil. Listen, Christian, what Satan means for evil, God means for good. You should say amen there. What Satan means for evil, listen, God, he means it for good. I mean, listen, everybody has a Patmos experience. Every Christian has a Patmos experience. Oh, well, Ronnie, you don't understand. I'm just in a rocky, barren place. This place, I feel like I'm in a God-forsaken place. I feel like my job is a God-forsaken place. Hey, maybe it's sad but true. Maybe you feel like your home is a God-forsaken place. And spiritually, maybe you feel like you are barren and empty. And Rodney, I feel like I'm on Patmos. I'm having a Patmos experience. Well, listen, listen. What Satan means for evil, God means for good. So what do you have to do? You got to stay on Patmos. You got to stay there. Don't try to escape. Because you know what happens when you try to escape? Ask me what? Thank you for asking. You know what happens? God sends you right back to Patmos. (laughs) No, say it ain't so. Yeah, that's the way it happens. Because you didn't learn anything when you were there the first time. And now God's got to take you back. Why? Because he wants you to suffer, because he wants you to be in a barren place so that you can do hard labor and die? No, no, no. He's trying to reveal to you Jesus Christ. He's trying to give you a revelation of Jesus Christ. But you can't try to escape. Stay there. Deal with your Patmos experience. God will reveal himself, he will. And so John tells us in our text why he was there. He said, there's two reasons why I was there. For the word of God, number one, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He didn't do anything. It wasn't like he was an evil person or a sinner or or that, you know, he lacked faith. And so because of his lack of faith, God sent him to Patmos. No, quite the contrary. John was on, on the island of Patmos because he was full of faith. He was so full of faith, it kept spilling out and he was telling people about Jesus. He was there because of the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John wouldn't deny the Bible and John wouldn't deny Jesus. It was the word of God that put him there, but it was also the word of God that made him who he was. He wouldn't deny the Lord and he wouldn't deny the Bible. Remember last week we talked about it. John was a Bible guy. John was a theologian. He was a theologian in the Old Testament specifically. Remember, he didn't have the Bible with him. Remember, he didn't have the Bible with him because it hadn't been written yet. So he knew the scriptures. And John is there on the island of Patmos. And this word that you have in your hands was actually in his mind and in his heart. And he could quote scripture over and over. He had an incredible working knowledge of the scriptures. An incredible working knowledge of the scriptures. He was an Old Testament theologian. And I like that about John. He knew the Bible. He knew the word of God. Over 500 prophecies and or allusions to the Old Testament. John just quotes them. And not only is he a theologian, but he's also a poet. Because John would arouse the emotions of people using graphic, poetic imagery as John paints powerful pictures and moving pictures, and he tells them, Impatient, wait for Jesus because Jesus is coming. And I love John's style of preaching. I can't wait to get to heaven and meet him. I say, like, John, like, you know, like 2,000 years after you were on the Patmos, these people discovered DVD. And uh, you know about that, John? Yeah, 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 I saw it from up above. And, uh, and it's cool, man, it's like DVD, man, it's like being live. Was your experience on Patmos like DVD? I mean, you could just see it, it was as clear as DVD. Huh, John? Because I think it was just clear. And he was a powerful preacher. You know why? Because he knew the word. He was a powerful, powerful preacher. John was the kind of preacher that preached with fire. Just, just powerful, power and passion in his preaching. Listen, let me say to you: if you're here this morning and you're a preacher, put some power and some fire in that preaching. Could you? Could you? And nothing like. Boring preaching. Just got to say it. It's awful. Man, put some fire. One one person, I was trying to look it up in between service. I can't remember. But there was a gentleman. Someone once said, put some fire in your sermon or put your sermon in the fire. I like that. You know, John was just a powerful, powerful preacher, a powerful man of God. He was on this island for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then notice in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, underline that. And I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet. And trumpets are important in the book of Revelation. Trumpets are important throughout the whole Bible, as a matter of fact. He heard a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now give me your attention if you will. Bible scholars are all torn as to what exactly John means by in the spirit on the Lord's day. Differing opinions as to what he means by on the Lord's day. Some believe the Lord's day is a reference to Sunday. And by this time, many were worshiping on Sunday, the first day of the week, and Jesus rose on Sunday. So some believe that on the Lord's day is a reference to Sunday. And then there are some who say the Lord's day is a reference to a devotional state or a state of communion. Like on this day, John was walking around the island or had some free time or some extra time and he sat down and he began to fellowship and to spend some time with the Lord and suddenly he was caught up into this vision on the Lord's day. And then there are some who say and Pastor Chuck Smith uh, believes that the scriptures support this, that this verse is better translated. I was in the spirit unto the day of the Lord. Which is True, it actually translates better, I was in the Spirit unto the day of the Lord. That John was transported by the Spirit through time to the day of the Lord as he describes the things that are going on in heaven and in earth and he's just kind of an observer and he describes what he sees the best way he can. Unto the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord that is spoken of by the prophets in the Old Testament. Isaiah and Ezekiel talk about the day of the Lord. And he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Either way, whatever your position on this verse, either way, we do know two things. Jesus spoke and John listened. And that's the important thing. Now notice John hears the voice as of a loud trumpet. And the voice said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last And what you see, John, write it and send it to the seven churches in Asia. Now this isn't the Asia that we know today, Singapore, Thailand, Hong Kong, Japan, not that Asia, but this is modern day Turkey. And notice Jesus chooses seven churches. Now, it's important to understand that there are more than seven churches in this area. But the Lord chose these seven churches. And God wants us to read the mail of these seven churches. Now, it is interesting as you look at your map, don't look there now. But as you look at your maps in your Bible, you will see that these churches are, in a, are positioned in a circular position. Very interesting. Why? Because the Bible teaches, this text will go on to tell us, that Jesus, the lampstand, is standing in the middle of these churches. Very interesting. So John's in the Spirit. He's told to write and send it to seven churches. And then I want you to see in verse 12, three very important words. Notice in verse 12, Then I turned to see, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, I really believe this is a word from the Lord for us this morning. These three words in verse 12, turned to see. Turn to see. John turned to see. Now, there are many people in the Bible that turned to see. And there are many people in the Bible who never turned to see. Exodus chapter three, verse two. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. And so he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. Now, some people, would see the bush on fire and say, Hey, the bush is on fire. I better move my feet. The bush is on fire. I better move the sheep if you're a shepherd. But notice the Bible says, Moses said, I will turn and see why the bush burns and doesn't disintegrate. Moses saw something unusual and he turned to see. He turned to see. Now, maybe there's something unusual going on in your life. You know, this is a good time to turn to see. When things are unusual, that's the time to turn to see. Because maybe God is trying to use the unusual, or God is trying to use, listen, the bizarre. Because God can do some bizarre things. Read your Bible. I mean, just stuff, you go, what's up with that? God can do some bizarre things. And sometimes God uses the bizarre or the unusual things to get your attention. Jesus has been known to use bizarre things in the gospels how bizarre is this jesus walks up to a man he puts his fingers into his ears he's like got this fingers in this guy's ears he spits on the ground and then he touches the man's tongue after he put his fingers in his ears with the wax still on his fingers how bizarre is that and and, and the man is healed i mean he goes away he's healed How bizarre is this? Uh, What what was uh, Darren a couple of Wednesdays ago? Darren was talking about how Jesus walks up to this man, he spits on the ground, takes some dirt, he makes clay, he plops it into the blind man's eyes, and he told the man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, if I was the blind man, I'd be very happy to go wash mud and spit out of my eyes. How bizarre is that? It's very bizarre. And yet the Lord uses the unusual and the bizarre to get your attention because he healed the man. So sometimes it's time for us when something in our lives is is going on as bizarre or unusual, it's time for us to turn and see. What's going on in your life? You should be like John and turn to see what Jesus is trying to do in your life. And I think that if you take the time to not call your friends and not email people and not call the prayer chain, but just turn to see what God is doing, guess what? You'll get blessed and you'll find that you receive the revelation of Jesus. Oh, just turn and see. Maybe the Lord's trying to bless you. That's what John did. He turned and saw. It's important to turn and see. I mean, think about it. What if the shepherds were who were watching the sheep and the angels, they show up and they say, I've got good news. The Messiah is being born. You should go and see him. Well, what if they had not turned to see? They say, oh, we're busy shepherds. We're busy doing the shepherd thing. We don't have time to turn and see. What if they would have not turned and saw? But they did, we know the story, and they went to Bethlehem, and what did they see? They got a revelation of Jesus, because they saw the baby Jesus, that beautiful baby Jesus. And and what about the magi, the wise men? What if they had not turned to see? When they turned, they, they saw a star, and they followed that star, and they went in to see Jesus. And what would the world be like if they had not turned to see? And bring Jesus gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh. What would the world be like? Our Christmas would be all messed up because I've got gold on my Christmas tree. What if they hadn't? It's important to turn to see. And what about Joseph? What if he had not turned to see? When the angel told him that the baby that Mary was carrying was the child of another man, he would have made a mistake. And Simeon, the old man, what if he had turned to see or hadn't turned to see the baby Jesus when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to him? It was a fulfillment of prophecy given to him. And of course, what about Paul the apostle if he never turned to see on the road to Damascus? Where would the church be? We wouldn't have two-thirds of the New Testament. We need to turn and see what God is trying to say. And especially, especially in Times where things seem bizarre and unusual. And John turned to see in our text and he heard the voice. It must have been 3D virtual reality. And what did he see? Notice in verse 12, he says, I saw seven golden lampstands. And then in verse 13, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man, underline that, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about his chest with a gold band, his head and his hair white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass or burnished brass, some of your Bible says. And if refined as if it refined in a, fu- in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance, why, it was like the sun shining in its strength. Notice what John saw. Now keep in mind, the last time that John saw Jesus, he was a man walking on the earth. And now John sees Jesus as the Son of Man. Now the Son of Man speaks of the fact that Jesus is relatable. He's the Son of Man. He is God and he is relatable. But also the Son of Man has an important prophetic picture or element. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 and 14. I was watching in the night vision and behold one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting. It's an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Notice Daniel went on to see in that text in chapter seven the resurrected Jesus, just like John. And John says, I see Jesus. I've seen him. I see the son of man. And he's in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, the seven golden candlesticks, write this in your margin. The seven golden candlesticks is a reference to the menorah spoken of in Exodus chapter 25. And it reads this. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold, The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its sides three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch. Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923.